Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 27. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, Jeevana and I talk about race equity from our perspectives as two white yoga practitioners who are also actively involved in social justice and equity work. With this episode, we're not here to set ourselves up as some sort of experts, but to share authentically how we're each reflecting and taking action in our own lives. We begin by checking in with one another, discussing our current emotions and how we are caring for our nervous systems during this turbulent time. We also spend time talking about yoga as a living practice, one that asks us to turn inward and go outward to do the work of social justice. We then offer some themes to explore and ideas for action for other white folks who are invested in race equity. Hope this is helpful for y'all. Here we go. Hey, Jeevana, how's it going? Hi. Hi, Amber. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm all right. Like in the big picture, I'm okay. And also, I don't know, I'm struggling. How are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling a bit better now, but I have to say, um, you know, well, we should say we're recording this like how many days after that terrorist violent attack five days so that was wednesday january 6th and we're recording this on the following monday so not even a week out and i have to say like for those like three or four days after i was a wreck and like i really tried to take the weekend off and take care of myself because i i was surprised at how much it affected me personally like i really you know there's been so much chaos and like difficult news that i thought i was like okay okay with all of it <laughs> like I'd gotten through it all but that that really threw me I, I was I don't know I felt real amped up and anxious and um yeah oh really upset I couldn't I couldn't stop reading the news yeah yeah my I screen knew. time was up 30 percent I saw <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I don't um, have that screen time thing up because I don't want to feel judged by my phone um, any more than I already judge myself or how much I'm attached to it. Um, yeah, you know, I I definitely have been dealing with a lot of um, anger and frustration and sorrow and all the things um, this past week. And also at the same time, just noticing how much like I wasn't actually surprised at what happened. And, you know, I kind of like feel like a lot of, I don't know, none of this is new, you know, like it's new, but it's also not new. Like every, we can just look back in history to see, um, you know, the reactions of like white folks to social change in America. Um, Usually it's not, um, it's not a smooth sailing. And I really think that, you know, as someone who's white, I mean, you and I are both white, like I've been thinking a lot about lately, like how, what sort of, you know, reckoning needs to happen, not only like nationally, you know, like basically admitting what the past 400 years we haven't been able to admit about race and, and all of those things, but also just like what my role is in all of this, you know, like in what ways, um, I think Octavia, um, Rahim had sent out some questions in email of like, you know, how is the mob me and how am I the mob and that kind of stuff. And I think it's, you know, it's got me in a very reflective space um, just around like how many people, you know, that have sort of like, I don't know, it feels like almost joined a cult, um, the sort of unquestioning, you know, anger and fervor and sort of like, not able to reach folks with logic or reason. And that as a, as a human being, it's just something that I sort of have been reflecting on is like, Mm. um, not just the, you know, in the immediate time, like how do we resource ourselves and make sure that our folks are, you know, going to be okay. Cause this is hitting all of us differently. You know, I think depending on where we're socially located, like it's hitting white folks differently than it is, you know, people of color and, hitting Americans differently than it is folks around the world, you know, that kind of thing. But also like, you know, what is, uh, what is my role in, um, helping to like to solve this problem, this really big problem that, you know, ends up coming down to ideals and relationships and all of those kinds of things. So I guess I've just been in reflection a lot about it. 
But I'm curious about that self-care piece that you mentioned about resourcing yourself first. Before we talk about mm, the, the yeah, details, I just, I guess we need to, even starting this conversation, um, you know, all these feelings come up. So it's like, how, how do you, what do you do? Like, what do you do to take care of yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like the, um, the, the biggest thing that I try to do is just like create some space for myself if I can. So, you know, I, um, I moved a lot of meetings last week, a couple of days the last week. Um, I postponed things if I could. I didn't work on the weekend um, very much and just tried to like, you know, put some spaciousness in my schedule. That really helps me. Um, and also, um, I just sort of like, I've been trying to check in with my physical body and see like what I can address there first. Um, because I feel like I've got, you know, a lot of big questions without answers or a lot of mm -hmm. uncertainty around maybe, you know, and fear and stuff like that. Um, but I can address like my immediate, like physical state. And so I'll usually just take a moment just to like get quiet and take a few breaths, maybe like close my eyes and ask myself, like, what do I need right now that'll make this like 2% easier. Mm. And so sometimes that's like, oh, I'm cold. I need to like put on some socks. Maybe I need a drink of water. Maybe I need to eat something. So it's been a few hours and I haven't thought about that. You know, maybe yeah. I can, uh, you know, put myself to bed early. And so I've been doing some of that sort of like boring self-care, like, <laughs> like mm -hmm. self-parenting, self-maintenance kind of stuff. And so, um, and I, you know, I think there's a lot of advice to like have less screen time. Uh, I'm not too good with that. So I've just been trying to be, <laughs> I've been trying to be mindful about when I have my screen time. And so like, I noticed that if I get up first thing in the morning and the first thing I do is like grab my phone and go straight to look at headlines, like that really does set a tone for my day. And so I've been intentional about at least the first little bit when I get up and I'm like, I get up early and, pack my husband's like lunch and get him out the door. And so like when I'm doing all of that and then I don't let myself look at my phone mm -hmm. until I like have a glass of water mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of like at least contemplate my day a little bit and how I want that to go. And so that's helped a little, even though I've definitely been uh, doom scrolling a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, hard not to. I, I know it's been really, I've yeah. been on my phone too much. I, I'm just like, I like to read the news like that really, I don't know, it, it, it helps me feel more connected, but this, this week it's not so much, it's been too much. Yeah, I think uh, I've also tended to try to just like, if I'm feeling like I need to get on the news and look at what's going on, to me, I don't know about you, but to me it's sort of like I need to feel connected. And so instead I've been trying to like recognize that that's the need I'm trying to meet and maybe I need to like send a text to a friend and check mm. in, maybe I need to like, you know, actually go sit and cuddle with my dog and try to like regulate myself a little bit or, you know, something yeah. like that. So, um, yeah, I don't always do it, but <laughs> I try to be aware of that when I can of like, why am I actually opening this to look? Is yeah. it, am I trying to assuage some fear? Am I trying to, you know, feel connected to what's going on? And maybe there's a different way to handle that. Yeah. And I, um, I, you know, I've been, kind of triggered because it just reminds me a lot of the I don't know like the AIDS protests I was at and and how different they were like honestly I mean I've, I've been arrested at the Capitol I think I mentioned that to you and <clears throat> it was such a different experience than what I saw police were so intense and I mean we weren't violent you know we were just do we were peaceful protesters and um it's been upsetting to see people compare like Black Lives Matter and peaceful protesting to what happened the other day, you know? Well, it's yeah. like, you know, I get the compare and contrast on like how the police <laughs> behave very differently toward yeah. um, white folks than they do a, a crowd that's majority, you know, um, non-white or whatever. And um, it is, uh, yeah, it, the difference is stark and not not hard to. Yeah, but to even observe. with AIDS protests in the, like, I think it was in the 80s and 90s that I was mm -hmm. there and. I got arrested. I remember one time at the Capitol, I got arrested and they were just like, there were so many police. They were, so, we were, we couldn't even get close to the building and yeah. they just whisked us away like within minutes. Like it was like, they just, I think <clears throat> 50 of us got arrested within like 10 minutes, like and sure. threw us in vans and took us to like another 
we were at like a school. There were so many of us that they arrested so quickly that they didn't couldn't fit us in jail. So they put us in a school and they locked yeah. us into this school all day. Um, I was just like, they, they were just so organized. It was incredible. It was just not what we saw the other day. So, and that's yeah. been really bothering me. And um, I don't know, just also just personally, like as a queer person, just feeling scared, just like knowing yeah. how, I don't know, I feel like I'm sure all marginalized folks feel just like our rights are not set in stone and like things change quickly. Yep. It's, it's just frightening. <clears throat> it's frightening. I, I was, um, but what I've been doing is, I mean, I've been using my practice and trying to calm myself down. And I always, I mean, I, I was telling you earlier, I try to use my breathing to, to calm myself down when I'm feeling anxious and um, especially ujjayi breathing, which is some, you know, really for me, it's about long, slow exhalations and, you know, trying to listen to my breath. Um, so ujjayi is just that, you know, where you close the throat a little bit and you make, it's like a, almost like a wheezing sound. Um, and I find that is so calming. I think it, it stimulates the vagus nerve, you know, that part of the parasympathetic right. nervous system and um, has such an immediate impact for me. Um, so things like that really help. Yeah, for sure. All right. Should I, should I, if you want to talk about our topic today, really is looking at, um, I think as white people, how are we responding to racism and, and how can we do better? Um, I think it's more to talk about that first, like as a white person, what is our role? So do you have thoughts about that? Do you want to share? Sure, definitely. I mean, I, I know we wanted to um, do a podcast episode and have a conversation about, you know, maybe what we personally are doing to sort of work toward um, race equity specifically. Um, but I, I just want to say at the outset that like Jeevana and I are not setting ourselves up as some kind of experts on race equity. We're not setting ourselves up as some sort of like facilitator that's going to, you know, prepare you to have the exact right words to say. Like, that's not what this is about. This is not a race equity training. Um, and I'm going to have a lot of, you know, recommendations. I think both of us do as far as like, um, you know, listening to people of color, listening to marginalized folks um, when we're talking about issues of marginalization. But I do think it's important that white folks understand that our role in dismantling white supremacy and um, really addressing, I think, this crisis of white nationalism that we're seeing in America, um, and not just in America, like Canada has a lot of similar issues. There are other countries in, that have, you know, race equity issues. Like, white folks' work is much different, I think, than the role of anyone who's a person of color um, in dismantling white supremacy. Like, it's not... Um, yeah. It's not black and brown folks' job to solve racism because <laughs> it was not set up uh, to benefit them in any way. It's not uh, people of color's job to prove their humanity to folks that they should, you know, get the same rights or treatment as everyone else. Like, I feel like it's white folks' um, job to go about, you know, solving this issue of racism and white supremacy that, like, people of color are, you know, they have enough to do just like trying to live their lives out here under these systems. So mm -hmm. I think like, you know, you and I, like m our intention with this podcast uh, episode really is to talk about um, what we're both doing um, and, and sort of to speak directly to um, our fellow uh, white folks who are listening. Um, and that, you know, we have a very specific um, or different sort of work to do than um, than non-white folks. And so I just want to be real clear about that with our intention on this podcast and also kind of our positioning that, um, you know, we're not experts and, you know, there are, are plenty of folks, um, people of color and otherwise who, you know, might say like, well, what are y'all out here teaching about race equity for anyway? Like, you know, we should be looking to black folks to lead. And I, I agree. And we're going to get into all that, but I do think that, um, you know, even if we're not, no matter what your, um, your role is in this, I feel like this fight or this journey toward um, a more just world, um, we all have a part to play. Um, and so, you know, yeah, while it's true that like white folks maybe need to not always like step into the leadership role or grab the microphone, uh, well, we created this microphone, so <laughs> let's use it in a responsible way to try to talk yeah. about some sustainable 
ways we can move forward. Right. And also, especially within um, yoga and wellness, like I just feel not only um, am I not an expert in anti-racist work, but I'm also not an expert in lots of things. And the only thing I really feel comfortable talking about is yoga and my personal experience with that even only. And I think um, that that's kind of where I'd like to go a little bit in this conversation is to look at that some of the problems that we've seen um, in the yoga world in, in terms of the racism and um, how it's, how it, how it affects the way that we um, are teaching and learning about yoga too. So maybe we can get into that later. Yeah, sure. Um, Do you, do you want to say more about that or? Well, I don't know. I've just, I, I I just, the one thing that's been on my mind is I think um, the way that, like QAnon and some other um, white supremacists and conspiracy theories have spread through yoga. I saw this post, I think it was from um, Matthew Remsky and Conspirituality, just about this, this white woman who's a yoga teacher who was at the, whatever they called it that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was at the Capitol that day and like t- defending it and stuff. And I was just, it was just, so horrifying to me and embarrassing and just shocking um, that someone who's involved with yoga, you know, is is there. And I think we've seen, there, I mean, I don't want to say the names of the people that are yeah. doing that, but there's some bigger names in yoga and wellness that are doing that too. And it's just so um, frustrating to me. And I feel like, you know, that that's why I want to speak up. It's like, I want to sure. be a different voice um, within the yoga community saying it's not okay. And, uh, you know, we are firmly against all that stuff and we will do what we can to stop it. And part of that is educating, educating ourselves and helping to support people in, in um, yeah, and in, in learning more about that. Yeah. You know, I, I think, and I think understanding maybe a little bit about that issue that why is it that, um, why is it that the yoga community like fell for QAnon so quick? Like what, what is it that, it, oh, yeah. is that connected? I have thoughts on that, honestly. So QAnon for, for those of you who maybe aren't up to speed, um, is a, a really strange conspiracy theory, um, sort of, I guess, universe, um, that exists, um, that sort of, um, captured the attention of, you know, these, folks who maybe we would assume would be progressive or left-leaning, you know, a lot of um, people who are involved in yoga and wellness, um, as well as like far-right extremists. And it kind of like combines these um, far-right white supremacist, white nationalist views with sort of the language and the cadence and the presentation that wellness thought leaders and influencers use. So, um, you know, I think that uh, and and um, the Conspirituality podcast is an excellent resource to learn all about this. It's um, specifically about um, QAnon and how it's infiltrated the wellness and yoga world. But I think that, you know, at its core, um, QAnon sort of appeals to the subset of folks who have gotten involved in yoga and wellness as part of the way that like capitalism, I think, has um, laid itself on top of the yoga and wellness world where there's a hyper focus on self, right? Like self-awareness, self-care, all of that stuff without the piece that's like, you know, yoga, yes, it is this amazing practice where we can make ourselves feel better and take care of ourselves and connect deeper with ourselves and do self-study and all of that stuff so we can get to know ourselves. But like, we're not supposed to stop there. Like the point of yoga is not so we can become self-obsessed and then stop there at this like hyper individualistic sort of ideal, which I think really is rampant in America, right? That's the thing that sounds like you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and anyone can get rich or protect themselves from violence if they just try hard enough, right? That's that individualism that I think um, the QAnon and sort of the far right, um, ideals have, uh, about freedom and liberty and, you know, every man for himself have sort of like captured the attention of folks that maybe have not, I don't know, gotten the memo that yoga is not just so you can become self-obsessed and get really good at your, you know, asana flows. It's really that we turn inward, remember the truth of who we are, recognize our humanity, and then go honor that and work to make the world better, work to make sure that everybody, um, you know, can 
feel that freedom. Like yoga is that practice of liberation. And so I think that the folks that have gotten wrapped up in this, um, you know, the, the really appealing part about yoga is, wow, there's like immediate ways I can make my life better right? Like I can deal with depression or anxiety or stress or my body feels better or whatever, like all those benefits that yoga can bring to us. But if we only use it to like vibrate away all the bad feelings and focus on ourselves, I think we're missing the boat. And maybe that's where some of this stuff has gone wrong. Yeah. Um, I think you're talking, it's like you're talking a bit about um, spiritual bypass, you know, yeah. spiritual bypassing, which is when we avoid the the painful or difficult parts of of ourselves really in to to kind of go to this transcendent place um, that spirituality is supposed to be bringing us. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in yoga that it's used. It's like we just want all the good without the bad. And it's just like we can't do that. We have to. Um, that's not what yoga teaches. Let's just right. say that. You know, yoga does not teach that you avoid the painful. It does teach us that maybe that painful things could be avoided in the future, but that's only by really addressing them now. And I think that's different. The idea of avoiding them in the present is is, is a misunderstanding to me of what yoga teaches us to do. There was a recent research, actually, I was just going to look it up while you were talking. And there was this research, it was about two years ago, actually, um, that was, showed that yoga and meditation actually increased ego mm -hmm. in the participants in this research. And, and I'll try and find out while we're talking. But the, um, they, they talk in that research about how um, what, what happened, it was self-focused, that, that the people's practice was, so, was spending more time focusing on improving themselves and that by doing something that's focused on self-improvement, it actually increased ego within mm -hmm. them. And I just think there's is such a complex and kind of subtle um, balance that has to happen between that practice and, and self-care in service. And it, it's something okay. I, actually, I wrote about in my, in my new book that isn't out yet, but I think it's really hard. It's really hard for many people to find that balance, you know, and I think it's been distorted through our experiences and our trauma, actually. I don't think we have a great sense of what, how much self-care we do need um, versus when is it actually more, when is it actually healthier for us to focus on service, meaning that we focus on the benefit to others right. rather than the benefit to ourselves. And I, I think, um, I think we, we've lost that, we've lost perspective on that question. Well, and I think, you know, that may have something to do with like the way that yoga is by and large taught in the West, right? Where, um, a lot of yoga classes are, a 90 minute, you know, stretching and breathing class. And we don't actually look at the teachings that talk about our interconnectedness and talk about, you know, I don't know how many yoga classes do you actually get to sit down and talk about yoga philosophy and how that applies to real life, current life, you know, yeah. that like, I think that, um, you know, if I could encourage teachers that are listening, like, um, I might ask some questions like, how are you making space for folks to work with the feelings that are coming up? because of current events? You know, are you, are you giving space for people to talk and to be heard? Are you having a discussion about things like ahimsa and satya and non-attachment and all of those types of things and applying them to, you know, what we're going through now? I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to really teach our students how to take this yoga off the mat and not just, you know, yes, we should practice ahimsa by not judging ourselves because we can't like lift our leg as high as the person next to us. But also mm. I think there are such bigger, broader applications that can, you know, help to care for our community and honor the interconnectedness um, that, that we learn about in yoga. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at, it's called the, the research study I was citing is mind body practices and the self yoga and meditation do not quiet the ego, but instead boost self enhancement. Um, G E B A U E R Gebauer. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think it's important just to, to mention that because I didn't just make it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> University of Southampton. I don't know. Maybe that's where it was done. Um, yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> that's the question is like, 
we started off talking about how you're caring for how are we caring for ourselves you know and, yeah. and you talked about some of the tools you use I, I mentioned some of mine but I I wonder um, how do you find that balance between that self-care and service like is that something that you think about I do think about it I mean I um, I've been thinking about it more uh, lately because the the self-care part has slipped on my side now I'm not saying I'm like perfect at service but I'll just say that like when kind of I can tend to get wrapped up in work and that kind of stuff um, and wrapped up in, you know, maybe what's going on with the people that are important to me in my life and and get really overextended. And so I, I think that for me, it's about having a, um, a practice of checking in um, because if, if, you know, awareness precedes change. So like we have to know that a balance is not um, exist before we can like bring it back to where it needs to be. And so for me, I've started this really simple, um, check-in that I do with myself every morning. And this is thanks to, um, Mara Glatzel. She's a teacher and a friend of mine. Um, she, she does a lot of work, uh, with women around, um, like checking in with our needs and, and self-care actually. Um, and so I'll, I'll link to her in the show notes, but, um, you know, it's a really simple check-in of like, what does my body need today? You know, how can I resource myself? Um, Michelle Cassandra Johnson talks about like making a, a list of, of what are your resources. And when I say resources, you know, this is everything from, you know, Ujjayi breath, like what a, a practice like that, that you know, that works for you. Um, you know, hydration, sleep, uh, meditation, like all of the things that you know that you have in your life that can make you immediately feel better, immediately more like resourced up. Uh, but it's also things like, you know, who are your, your loving friends that like can give you that pep talk when you, Mm. when you've lost your way a little bit and need to reconnect to your purpose, you know, who's on team Jeevana when you're having that like dark night of the soul. Like, and I think making a list of, you know, where, what are the options when you feel like you're ready to quit? You know, that to me is always a, I think having a visual reminder and like a a way to check in um, is really helpful. So I I do think about it a lot and try to, um, you know, bring it back into balance. But I feel like when, I feel like paying attention is, is the first step. So. Yeah. 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 I love, you mentioned dark night of the soul. You know, that's a quote from, um, there's a Juan Mascaro's translation of the Bhagavad Gita. I was going to go pull that out for you and read mm. it to you. But I'll just say that that's where, that's what um, he describes Arjuna um, in the beginning of the Gita when he's, you know, confused, he doesn't know what to do. And he's basically, because he sees he has to fight his um, mm-hmm. his family. His family. family. And he, he just collapses and then Krishna smiles and then teaches him basically his... Yoga, which is, but, you know, the path that first of wisdom of understanding um, his true nature and then right. karma yoga service. So that does come, I mean, it comes back to service in the end to basically yeah. do his dharma, to do his duty. Because I, I just, to me, bring it back to what's happening. You know, what I see the confusion in, in our, even in our community, because I had posted about this on the accessible yoga community page. And, and then I was, oh, and I noticed, um, who was it? I think it was Yoga Journal posted an article about yoga as yoga is political. And then people are like, no, it's not, you know, just like mm-hmm. stay in your lane kind of thing. Like yoga is peaceful. It's not about politics. And I'm just like so frustrated and tired about with that. It's like, yeah, you can you can have two things. You know what I mean? Like it can be. Well, two yeah, things. I mean, like high yogis uh, duality is a thing that <laughs> we may have uh, studied or heard about or mentioned. Right. That yoga is not just a, you know, a selfish practice that like lets us navel gaze and vibrate away our bad feelings. And it's not just, you know, uh, service, right? It is both and. And that this practice can really be that like peaceful sanctuary, that refuge um, away from all the chaos of the world. Um, It can be a way for us to resource ourselves and to get to know ourselves more intimately. But to me, it's not if it stops there, like we missed a huge opportunity to live our practice. You know, I think we have to have courage to like take up the responsibility that I think we each have as a human being and especially as yoga practitioners to like to to remember the truth of who we are. Right. To remember that we're not our job or our, you know, our bank account or any of those things. 
And that, but then to see that same, you know, unchanging worth in our fellow human beings, which to me means I need to fight to make sure that everyone has that same honor and that our humanity is taken care of. Um, because, you know, we don't live in a system that um, affords that to most people. So I think, I think this practice is a call to social justice. It is also that personal, you know, refuge. And I think it has to be both. Right. It's both. And I think that's, I think that's clear in the teachings that it's both. I think that um, yoga is about first turning within and finding truth within yourself. And also when you do that, when you find a connection with your spirit or God or whatever you call it within yourself, you automatically see that in the world around you. And then it's automatically, you then cannot help but care for and have compassion for that reflection of the spirit in in other people and mm-hmm. that that's what compassion is and that that is actually the theme of my book and i i'm just slightly obsessed with this idea that it's there we have this limited idea of this one direction of yoga goes inward yeah. but it's it it's it's a constant i like to say it's like waves on the beach you know how mm-hmm. if you're watching waves and they kind of, they come up onto the shore and then they go back into the ocean they come up onto the shore and back into the ocean and that's how that to me is how we practice yoga. We we turn within for our practice and connect with that part of ourselves. And then we go out into the world in our regular lives and we see that in other people. That's that's yoga during the other 24, 23 hours of your day when you're not doing your practice on your mat is actually seeing spirit or whatever you want to call it, the divine in the world around you. That That's how you practice yoga. Yeah. And yeah, that's social and, justice. I mean, right? right I'm sorry. Right. I mean, just like, by the way, if you see spirit in others, you cannot help but want them to have the same rights and privileges that you would have, that you would want for yourself or that you may or may not have. You would want the best for others. And I think that's what social justice means, literally like justice for everybody. That's right. Right. So you can't see God in others and then allow them to be harmed or suffer. Like that would hurt. That would hurt. Mm-hmm. So um, you're, you would care for them as much as yourself but it's not only then it's only it's not only outward either right then you turn back within again and you connect back to yourself so it's just like constantly in going back to yourself and then going out into the world and and i'd add one more thing that i think it it's also very personal so if someone is marginalized like if you're a person of color or you have some other you, you know intense trauma or um whatever kind of if, if you are suffering yourself in some way, then you can spend more time with that self-care piece. Like that going in part can become more important for your practice. But if you have privilege, like as a white person, I would say in the U.S. right now, you have privilege, privilege so you need to spend more time going outward in service. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're kind of talking about today. That I mean, it, it, it's completely individual. And I see, I saw a lot of confusion Again, within um, even within the accessible yoga community and responding to that post I put up recently, like, you know, that um, people are struggling. Yeah. And so it seemed like they were there was some spiritual bypass happening. But I actually think there was those people just needed more time to like they were they were so upset that they couldn't be of use yet like they couldn't be of service yet they had to be focusing on themselves yeah and i i think that's important like that like we can't stay in you know self care only self forever but i think that if we want to be effective in the work that we're going to do and in this um you know this fight for uh for justice that we do have to be resourced ourselves and so you know, we're not doing anyone any good if we just sit and like take in news all day and become more and more afraid and worried, or we're actually not doing anyone any good if we sit in our guilt, you know, like that white people did this and I'm white and I feel guilty because, you know, like guilt is kind of a useless emotion for the movement. (laughs) And what we need to do is have courage in this moment that like, Courage isn't useful when everything's okay. Courage is useful when you need that bravery. You need that, you know, um, that extra reserve of, you know, I can do this, which I think, 
you know, is something that we can find in this practice, like coming back to that personal power that we have, especially Mm -hmm. when we feel like our power has been taken away individually or systemically, like remembering the truth of who we are. But then, you know, some of that is like us getting to know ourselves so that we can recognize our biases and all the stuff that we've, you know, internalized from this culture and all the messaging that it gives to us, like so that, you know, we can start to know ourselves and root out like where, you know, like Octavia asked us, like, where is the mob in you? And, you know, where is our, um, and recognize like the fullness of that experience that we might be feeling anger and rage and sorrow and grief and all that stuff. Like we need to honor and feel those things, like not honoring feelings and not, um, wanting to deal with, you know, the dark side of, of things like that spiritual bypass we've been talking about, I think is really dangerous because it does, kind of keep the focus on on self um, when we refuse to acknowledge like the painful parts of being human. Do right. you know what I mean? <clears throat> yes, but also part of the reaction I was having was anger and I think it's yeah. righteous anger. And I think I think it's important to differentiate between kind of a righteous anger when you see wrong occurring in the world and you see other people being harmed, then there's this I think that's useful, actually, and that can inspire you to go and 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 work for justice. So I feel like that's the that's the step. I think we I wanted to talk about with you more today. Like how how can we inspire people to take that step to activate? You know what I mean? Like to actually turn from I don't know what. Like okay, you take care of yourself, but then you realize your feel part of your feelings are because you're upset that people are suffering and you want to do something about it. So then do something about it. Like, how do we take that next step? Yeah. I mean, I think like, actually, I think those bad feelings are a good sign. Like that's a sign that you are still alive and you are still connected (laughs) enough to the human family, (laughs) you know, to recognize that like something in your nervous system is telling you this is not right. Like, justice and that kind of stuff. I think we can feel that, right? We can, we can feel that recognition that, um, you know, I've, I've, I've recognized my humanity and these other people's humanity, and I can see that someone's being harmed here, you know, and that anger I think is useful. Um, anger given direction can be incredibly pure fuel (laughs) in my experience. Um, and I think that, you know, we have to, we have to pay attention to these emotions and really, uh, resolve to let it mobilize us, to let it really be a catalyst, not, Uh, toward greater fear or guilt or anger for its own sake, you know, where we might lash out to others or things like that. But to really let that, um, that activation in our nervous system, which let's be honest, like that's what these emotions are, right? Our nervous system is ratcheted up in response to the injustice that we see. Let that activation mobilize us to take action, to finally sit down and actually like put on your calendar the next thing you're going to do, whether that's to call your representatives or order that book that you've been meaning to read about these issues or sign up for that training to help you to become a better bystander or whatever the case may be. And, you know, we have some ideas we can talk about today about how to take action. Yeah, but also before we talk about those ideas, like the sometimes resolving the emotion comes from action. Like sometimes, like I know, like I have a history of anxiety. And one of the things that helps me is being active. Like that if I sit and stew, sometimes we say, oh, you know, feel your feelings. But like with anxiety, sometimes sitting with that isn't good. And I need to just move my body and actually do like an active asana practice, for example, really helps me. But also like if I see harm happening in the world, trying to do something to, to address that, can help resolve my feelings. It could be writing a letter to a congressperson mm-hmm. or or say maybe it's injury within my family. Like say I have a racist, you know, in-law or something. Speaking up could actually help resolve that feeling. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, and I'm not saying to only do it because for selfish reasons, but sometimes like you need to use the, the emotions to motivate you to act. Yeah. That's what that's what you're saying. That's That shows you're human. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's not too late. <laughs> so what should we do? I want to uh, talk specifics. Like, I feel like you have some great ideas um, about things we can do. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just start with, um, 
you know, we were talking about like speaking up and that kind of stuff. I think it is important to speak up when you notice oppression happening. But I think I want to say like the flip side of that is that a lot of us need to listen probably more than we talk, which is funny since we're you know, talking at everyone. But, um, I, you know, I think, I think for a lot of people, let's just say for those of you who maybe are, you know, feeling like, oh, I haven't felt this stress since 9-11. Like notice that because a lot of people in the world have felt stress like that every single day. And so to me, that's a signal to, um, to be like, you know, to listen, maybe more than we talk and to this doesn't excuse us to like get involved, not, you know, get involved in the conversation or call out racism when it happens. But I think that um, a lot of times, you know, white folks, because we've been sort of trained that uh, our voices are needed on every single thing, we might jump too quickly into, you know, leading or trying to like, oh, well, maybe me and my friends should get together and figure out what the black community needs. Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing where we think like, oh, our help is what's needed here. And yes, our help is needed, but it's important that we educate ourselves. Um, It's important that we not assume, you know, what a community may need, whether that's like you getting plugged in in your local community or whatever, right? That we start to educate ourselves, um, listen to the folks that have been doing this work for a long time. You know, um, I think if we don't know what to say, that's okay. We can start amplifying, um, you know, the voices of people who do. Yeah. Can I just echo that point? Because I I have to say, like, to me, that's one aspect of, I don't know, white culture, if there is one or white supremacy, which is to always think we have to do it ourselves. And I think Like we're, yeah, we're having this conversation today about it, but like, we're not starting a new project or organization to deal with this. Like we're telling you go find sources who can teach you and just to, I'm, I think we're just talking here to try to encourage people to do something. Yeah. Um, But don't, we don't have to like, yeah, white people don't have to go and um, start these anti-racist organizations. I think we can look at our everyday actions and the way that we've benefited from this system and how, how right. unfair it is. I mean, it's really unbelievable what we, what we, ex- what we like take for granted generally on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, the kind of safety security and it goes so deep. I mean, it's it, at least in the U S I mean, in terms of, um, land ownership and wealth and, um, power, like, positions people have in different companies like there's so many aspects to white supremacy that are just it's insidious right yeah and i so i think that you know um listening and educating ourselves is important um we'll provide some uh folks in the comment or in the uh, show notes um some resources for uh some trainings you know kimberly dark has a great um bystander training that teaches you how to uh, you know, interrupt um, when you witness oppression um, in a way that will, you know, de-escalate the situation and care for the person who's being harmed and all of that. Um, you know, uh, Carrie Kelly and Michelle Cassandra Johnson have some great uh, race and resilience training. So there are people out here that have been doing this work, um, most of the marginalized folks, like for a very long time. And so I think it's important to learn from them, pay them, amplify their voices, follow them on social media, really diversify the voices that you're listening to. And, you know, maybe kind of just take stock of like, what are my inputs? And notice like are most of the people that you follow um you know are they white are they people of color do you have a diverse um set of inputs whether that's the you know the publications you subscribe to the the people you follow on social media the organizations that you're involved in and so maybe it's good to just kind of take inventory and notice um you know how um is this a diverse um group of voices that i'm listening to and i think um You know, one of the things that I really try to think about, um, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, redistributing resources and reparations and that sort of thing. 
And I think that, um, you know, a lot of times when I've had conversations with folks about this, it's sort of like, yeah, it would be great if the government could like put the reparations thing in place so we could take care of that. Mm. And I think that it's up actually to each of us. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have a, a lot of faith in the government to set things right or corporations or charities or anyone really. You know, I think that um, it's clear from the past week where we had a very serious, like basically terrorist attack on the government and we haven't even had a briefing from the FBI. Like, we all have to do <laughs> our part in this. Um, if we rely on the government to fix it, we're going to wait a long time because they were kind of the originators. So yeah, I think that, you know, when it comes to things like reparation or redistribution of wealth or power, just a simple question that you can ask yourself in any organization or situation you find yourself in is like, where does this power, where does the power live in this situation? And what resources do I actually have that I could share or that I could, um, you know, kind of move things behind the scenes to help redistribute some of the power. And I'll just give a few examples. Um, so for yoga teachers, you know, you can uh, start to recognize that actually you hold a lot of power in your classes. So how could you voluntarily redistribute some of that power to your students? For me, this is about giving the students agency, right? People get to decide mm. what to do with their bodies. Uh, we co-create, you know, these learning experiences with our students. We make sure that, you know, they don't have to leave any parts of themselves at the door to belong here, you know, and that can go to things like physical space, making sure that um, you honor people's pronouns. Like it, it can look a lot of different ways, but like where is the power and how can I how can I redistribute some? Um, for myself, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just name one way that I personally um, try to redistribute power, which is through the opportunities that come to me. So, for example, and, and I'm not giving this example to talk about how great I am, but I want to talk about, you know, if we're each considering the, the personal things that we can do, this is what mine looks like. Um, you know, I get offered gigs to speak or to, uh, you know, to teach, to... Um, represent, I guess, you know, the accessible yoga community or um, to represent on the behalf of, of folks in bigger bodies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when those opportunities come my way, I pass them on to other folks who don't have as much of a platform, who are excellent representatives for whatever the thing is I'm being asked to speak on. But, you know, the same gigs end up going to the same people. And I recognize that. And I recognize mm -hmm. as a white woman that I hold more privilege than maybe a South Asian teacher or a black teacher or a, a Mex Mexican teacher or whoever, like mm -hmm. someone who is not um, through white supremacy kind of automatically set up as an expert like I am just because I'm white. And mm -hmm. so for me, you know, oftentimes I'll reach back out to the organization that's asking and say like, hey, you know, I like I'm not able to take this opportunity, but I'm wondering if you'd like me to refer you to some people that do excellent work. They always say yes. And then those gigs get to go, you know, to folks who maybe like wouldn't normally be represented or wouldn't be asked. And so that is a way that, you know, power was conferred onto me, whether or not I deserved it. And in that way, I can redistribute that and maybe pass that on. So I just want to mention that because it doesn't always have to look like, you know, giving a large amount of money to something. It can be as simple as, you know, um, taking stock of like, where do you, mm -hmm. where do you have resources? Where do you have access to people, to conversations, to institutional knowledge that maybe other people don't have? And how can you share that? Yeah. I mean, I know for me, like through accessible yoga, we really tried to focus on that at our conferences. Um, you know, we really tried to look at what we were doing as a nonprofit to um, address um, white supremacy with not just within, well, within the yoga space, like within our space, what could we do that could um, make these conferences more diverse? And I feel like we've been doing that for a number of years. And it's been, it's been really amazing, actually, to prioritize that, to prioritize diversity. Um, and it's, and it's not even diversity anymore. Now it's just kind of just the fundamental aspect of our work. I don't feel like it's some kind of special program. That's just who right. we are. <laughs> I mean, so it's just built into accessible yoga. It's not, it's nothing special. Yeah, that's right. And, and so this is a really good example of how like, you know, you plan an event, a conference, right? Like other people listening to this, you have events or 
you know, work uh, gatherings or whatever it is, professional things that you plan, you know, uh, if you're throwing a panel event, how's that panel looking? You know, is yeah. everyone on the panel white and non-disabled and straight? Like, maybe you can think about the representation of your community. You know, does your board of directors uh, reflect the representation of your community? Are there places where, um, you know, in the in the way that you build the thing, you can be intentional and thoughtful about redistributing some of that power? Yeah. And um, also, I, I've learned a lot from... Um, you said who I follow, but also like the hashtags you follow. Like I've, on Instagram, you could look at um, Black Lives Matter hashtag. And it's interesting to follow that. I've learned a lot through that and some incredible educators on there. I mean, I learned a lot from um, Nicole Cardoso's Anti-Racism Daily. Mm -hmm. That's been a great resource. And and Kelly Palmer, I mean, I've learned a lot from her course, um, you know, that creating equity course that Kelly offers, I think is really amazing place for people to start. Um, Kelly in general has been a great resource for me. So I really appreciate her. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, I think that's a good start and hopefully we'll put together a list of, um, great resources for people. I want to know if there's, um, anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to share about? Well, just one other thing is, um, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll say two more things. One is, uh, since we've been talking about ways to take action, I think it's really important to figure out like how you want to participate in the political process and figure out like what your lane is and then get in that lane and go. And that, you know, there are many different roles um, for folks that want to get involved with social justice or involved in the political process. Um, you know, it's not always uh, some people are in the streets. Some people are uh, writing letters or calling their representatives, which I think all, everyone should do. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you want to get plugged into a local organization that's working toward justice like Black Lives Matter or Reclaim the Block. Surge, showing up for racial justice, is a group that is specifically for white folks working for race equity. And most of these uh, movements, you know, have a local chapter that you could get plugged into. So even if you're not going to in-person things right now because of the pandemic, um, many of these um, groups are doing virtual teachings and um, and educating about ways that you can get involved. Um, and that, that can look a lot of different ways. So don't think if you're someone that's like, oh, I could never go to a protest. I'm not able to for whatever reason that then I can't be involved. No, there's many, many ways that you can be. Um, and I think um, my main my main like charge to folks is it's very easy to get excited and activated and uh, like purposeful during a time like this when we're responding to such a, a direct um, event. You know, it's kind of like we saw the surge happen this summer with the George Floyd um, when George Floyd was murdered. And then there were protests, you know, all summer long. And then we kind of didn't hear anything for a while, right? It sort of tapers off. And there's been a graphic circulating, which I'll include in the show notes, um, that shows almost this like cycle of how, you know, an event will happen, people will activate, there will be a, a swarm of attention around it, and then sort of like we forget and our normal lives happen, and then we're back to like apathy again. And so I think the question that I would leave everyone with is, how are you going to make a plan for like sustainable ways of moving forward? Meaning like this should be as much part of your yoga practice as your asana practice. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're talking about that balance between self mm -hmm. and service, how are we making sure that that balance actually happens? Like maybe that means you need to sit down and decide like what is the one action that I'm going to take today Maybe that's like looking up those local groups in your area. Maybe that's, um, you know, following the people that we suggest on social media. Maybe it's, you know, calling a friend or two to say like, hey, I want to sit down and read, you know, one of these books that's been written by, I want to read, you know, how to talk about race. Um, I think that's the, how we talk about race. Uh, is Yoma Oluo's book. Yeah. Um, like maybe you want to organize a couple of friends to read and, and have some discussions together. But I think it's important that, um, get it on your calendar, like really treat it as if it's a, a work appointment. Uh, that's the only way that it's going to happen. And so I think we have to start looking at not only like, oh, okay, there's this big event that's happening around, you know, because we had 
the terrible attack on January 6th. Now, you know, all of these organizations are having events. That's great. We should respond in the moment. But also, how are we making this a daily practice in the same way that we think about our yoga or meditation being a daily practice? So that, that was the book is, um, so you want to talk about race. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, there, there's some other really great books out there, but um, what did, I had a thought. Oh, I was going to say that I love that practical approach to activating because just to go back to something we mentioned earlier, I actually think it can help us resolve some of our feelings like sitting around feeling guilty or angry. It can be, it can really eat away at you. Like if you yeah. feel really motivated, do something about it. Um, you know, you can take that anger and make it productive um, by working towards social justice, by working towards race equity. Like these are things we can do that I think actually will help us feel better. Like, like we're actually engaged instead of just like sitting and watching it happen. Cause I think that's, that's part of what gets me is feeling powerless. You know, when I feel powerless, it's really, um, it makes it even worse, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I just think it's important that, you know, if we're calling ourselves yoga practitioners, that we have both and both contemplation and action, you know, mm -hmm. that self-study, the, the turning inward and then going out, like you said. And so, um, yeah. And yeah. actually, if just to mention one more thing about yoga and social justice is like, that literally was the, um, the basis of nonviolent protest is in yoga, you know, that, um, Gandhi, who is, he's kind of a controversial figure these days, but still what Gandhi created was um, a way to do nonviolent protest based on the yoga teachings, based on ahimsa and satya. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, he created this term satyagraha, which is like the force of truth or the force of love. And through that force, he could you could basically change the world through self-empowerment. Like by empowering yourself as an individual, then you could use that force to change the world. Um, and then that was what inspired Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela. And so like both, um, I think the civil rights movement and um, anti-apartheid movements in South Africa were very much inspired by yoga in that way. You know, that that's the basic concepts were from the yoga teachings. Gandhi was um, really dedicated to the, the teachings. I mean, he translated the Bhagavad Gita, but I really think he took these main ideas from the sutras of Ahimsa and Satya, the first two teachings of Yama, which is the first limb of Ashtanga Yoga. So this is not something new. There's not like yogis right. are just getting political now. It's actually what we've been doing for a, a while, at least for a hundred years or so. So, I mean, and even back, I know there's examples if you go back to, to this in the history of yoga as well. So this idea of yoga as something that you do when you're sitting alone in your house or practicing in a yoga studio is a very contemporary kind of illusion, actually, that's not, that doesn't really, I don't think, speak to the whole practice at all. Yeah. Um, so we can let that go. Um, and I, I'm tired of seeing people comment on, on posts about that. Like yoga is not political. That's just garbage. They don't, they don't really know what they're talking about. I kind of feel like, you know, they're like practicing a whole different thing, you know, like I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I hear some people call that yoga, but like, this is how I understand yoga to be, you know, I understand yoga to be uh, a practice that is both personal and done in community. And it sounds mm -hmm. like, you know, to the people that say yoga is not political, um, I, I wonder how much of the yoga teaching and the yoga you know, texts and, and all of that, that they've actually dug into, or is their yoga entirely a physical practice? Because, you know, I think there are some people out there that would call themselves a yogi that have never studied yoga philosophy. Mm -hmm. That's possible, right? Yeah. There, you know, if you only attend yoga classes in the type of places that focus on the physical practice solely, then that that's, I can understand that, but that's a different yoga to me. I, yeah. I, I'm talking about that capital Y yoga, you know, that, that asks us to remember who we are and then go do something about it, you know? Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Amber. I, should we leave it there? I think you gave yeah. everyone a question. Um, and I think we said a lot, <laughs> said yeah. a lot of things. I, I hope this was useful for people and, um, the beginning of, you know, a conversation. Um, 
for sure. Yeah. And let us know what questions you have and what resources that you need. And we, we'd love to point you in the direction of those. Um, definitely check the show notes. We'll be adding some links there. And uh, yeah, thanks for chatting with me about this, Jeevana. Thank you, Amber. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I am Kelly Nicole Palmer, a Black queer writer, artist, and community advocate. I serve as the editor for the Accessible Yoga Podcast and a staff member for the Accessible Yoga Nonprofit. I'm a teacher trainer, a yoga teacher, and I have my own nonprofit based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Race equity work is an important part of what I do on and off of the yoga mat. I want to make the world safer for folks who hold underestimated and under-resourced identities. I want to make it safer to enter wellness spaces and also to just exist in a world still upholding systems of oppression. The shift in our world and wellness spaces is getting stronger and stronger, asking each of us to lean in. I'm excited to announce that a new cohort is forming for my course, Race and Equity, Disruption as a Practice. The next section of this 12-hour live training will run from February 24th until March 5th, 2021. If you've been thinking about engaging with this work, we have a live info session with me on February 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Get clear on your role in dismantling white supremacy and activate your yoga practice for social justice. Together, we can begin working towards the future we believe in. As a participant in this course, you will be invited to investigate how you participate in and uphold systems of oppression. I'll ask you to awaken to how racism and white supremacy show up in your yoga communities so that you can shift your perspective and work towards change. In the end, it is my intention that you feel empowered to shift how you show up in wellness spaces and be an activist and ally for others. Join the waitlist now at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also suggest a topic, ask a question of Amber or Chivana, or recommend a guest that you'd like for us to interview at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.